Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app. Uh, would love to get y'all's thoughts. I I want y'all to call in. I want y'all to share with me your thoughts on the State of the Union address. I will be honest with you. I have dreaded this show today because I hate the tradition of the State of the Union. It is a lot of pomp and circumstance for a speech that will be remembered anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. And we move on with our lives, and it really makes very little difference going forward. Uh, The talking points everybody has today, we're, we're not going to care about that. We're not. It's not going to last too much longer. We talk about it because the president gives a speech. He basically lays out his agenda for the next two years. And that is, that's the point. I mean, that's the point of it is we, we get that idea. But here's the thing. Here's the problem I have. The, the speech, okay, so some of y'all are going to take offense to how I describe it, but the, the speech was fine. Rhetorically, it was a fine speech. I mean, yes, you and I don't like the rhetoric in there. Some of y'all do. Most of y'all, you don't like the rhetoric that's in there. But rhetorically, aesthetically, the speech was fine. He exceeded at time and stations. He was awake and alert, even though the speech started two hours past his bedtime. It started at roughly nine o'clock Eastern time last night, which is, I think, two, two and a half hours past when Biden goes to bed. Uh, but he was awake and alert. Uh, he didn't stumble too much. He stuck mostly to his script. Uh, when Republicans jeered him and booed him and were kind of rowdy, uh, he, you know, verbally sparred with them. He wasn't, you know, caught off guard by it. He engaged with it very well from an objective standpoint. It was a fine speech. It was okay. There was nothing too controversial about it. Now, some of the things he said, we can take, we can take as controversial. Some of his statements on, uh, on, uh, Things like that, his his rhetoric against the oil company, gun control, things like that, his his rhetoric against the oil companies. We can we can nitpick those talking points, but overall it was an okay speech. It was nothing like the Independence Hall speech, which was just a disaster of of just an aesthetic disaster in terms of the lighting, the image, everything like that. This one was much different. It was a much more pleasant sounding speech, I guess you could say. And overall, I, I just there's there's nothing really to I mean, the, the White House prepared him just fine for it. I mean, that, that's all that's all there is to it. Now, there were a couple points to take note of, but I think that one of the bigger issues is what wasn't said. At the State of the Union address last night, and this is something that pertains to a lot of you. To a lot of you listening, you have a lot of passion about the oil and gas industry. And there's one moment in there that uh, that was really, I think, notable for what was uh, said and how the crowd reacted. And it was this part. Let me see if I can production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? 
I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they used the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. So every Republican in the room laughed at that. When, when he said uh, for at least 10 years, we were going to still need oil and gas for at least 10 years, every Republican in the room started laughing because they know that really he has no idea what he's talking about when he's talking about the oil and gas industry. The fact of the matter is oil and gas company, he talked about their record profits and everything. They weren't reinvesting in new production because when Joe Biden came into office, he said he was going to shut down their industry. That's what he said. There is no incentive for them to reinvest. Here's what you have to understand. For those of you who don't, there's a lot of you out there who are listening who do. But oil and gas production is a new production is a 10 year investment. It takes about 10 years for that investment to return. So if the Biden administration is coming into power in 2020 or early 2021 and saying, we're going to shut your industry down for Biden to now say, we're going to need oil and gas for at least 10 years. Okay. Everything that's out there, that's it. We're not going to invest in something new. If it takes 10 years to return the investment and you're saying, we're not going to need oil and gas. You're going to try to push us out of business in 10 years. That's they're not going to do that. This isn't about obscene corporate profit. This is about the fact that there is nothing to reinvest if you're being threatened by the federal government to shut down. And so that's why every Republican was laughing. They were laughing because Biden basically admits that he knows nothing about the industry. And also keep in mind that you can say we, we maybe we won't need gasoline in 10 years, but we still have so many things on the market that are petroleum based. The rubber for our tires, even electric tires. A lot of the plastics that go into making these vehicles, the asphalt that we drive on, there is a lot just pertaining to cars in general that requires petroleum-based products much and, and tons of other things on the, on the market. But here's the thing. He, he said that. He also talked about his climate change victory with the Inflation Reduction Act. But you know what was missing from the speech? And this is something that not a lot of people have talked about, although the left and the environmentalists have noticed this. Joe Biden didn't give any new ideas for climate change. He did not give any new policy ideas. He gave no other plans for what he's going to do with climate change. He took a victory lap and that was it. There's an organization out there called GRIST, G-R-I-S-T, and they are an organization that wants to raise awareness about climate change and environmentalist issues. They want to see changes and things like that. They noticed it. Unlike his calls for tax reform and protections for Medicaid and Social Security, the State of the Union lacked a clear vision for how his administration hopes to tackle the many climate deadlines looming for the last two years of his term. From new emissions limits on coal-fired power plants and vehicles to efficiency standards for appliances and industry. There is also the issue of the delays and staffing shortages at the Environmental Protection Agency and fear of a blockade on climate action within federal courts spurred by a deep bench of conservative judges appointed during the Trump administration. Jamal Reed is the executive director of Evergreen Action, a climate change political advocacy organization based in Washington state. 
Ahead of Tuesday's address, Reid told Grist that Biden's investment has been monumental for the transition to a clean economy, but he agreed there is a lot left to do on D.C.'s climate to-dos list. The IRA, he said, and the, other, and the current baseline do not get us where we need to honor climate commitments. He is referring to how the law is projected to reduce emissions by 42 percent by 2030, 8 percent less than what the U.S. committed to in international agreements. Jamal also said we need to push states to go further faster than they ever were before with these investments. We need to implement rapidly, equitably and efficiently the Inflation Reduction Act and make sure we're getting those dollars out the door. The left, the environmentalists, are worried because the Biden administration has no new plans for climate change, no new ideas for tackling climate change. He's not calling for anything else. And instead, he's going to focus on some of these other things, the tax issues, the corporate issues. He's going to focus on gun control. He's going to focus on bipartisanship. And there's a reason why. Joe Biden has seen the polling numbers. You know, last night... He had two very familiar calls to action, a return to American manufacturing dominance, which environmentalists aren't fans of at all. And he also called for bipartisanship. See, Americans right now are worried about two things, according to recent polls, political leadership and the economy. He had lots to say about the economy. He had lots to say about jobs and inflation. He's always passing the buck to other people, except that if there was success, then he took credit all for himself. But he focused on the economy and inflation, and he focused on calling Republicans to join with Democrats for bipartisan legislation. That suggests that Biden and his team are reading the tea leaves and they understand that environmentalism is barely registering as a top issue for Demographic groups for party groups, uh, for party voters, for different demographics, they understand that these important issues are the ones they need to focus on. And climate change just is barely registering in a in a Gallup poll released in January. It didn't register at all. A Pew poll from before the midterm election showed that about 38 percent total of the voters in America thought that climate change was a big issue. There are things that are far more important on that list. And so the Biden administration wanted to take this speech and focus there. Now, why the State of the Union address? That's the key thing here. The State of the Union address after a midterm election is how a president kicks off their reelection campaign, even if Joe Biden isn't running. What he's doing is he is setting the stage for Democratic priorities ahead of the next major election cycle. Republicans are already making their way into the primary fight. Joe Biden hasn't really formally determined whether or not he is going to run again. But he has to make this pitch last night and show the priorities and try to convince Americans that he is going after things that they want, not necessarily the things that the environmentalists and the far left and the super progressives want. All right. I want to hear your calls. 232-1542. Your thoughts on the speech, your thoughts on the KPL app chat. We will be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So one of the big talking points after last night, uh, a lot of the media is really focusing on the GOP's uh, reaction during the speech to Joe Biden, particularly uh, when Joe Biden accused Republicans of wanting to uh, to slash Medicaid uh, and Social Security, and Republicans got very loud and very and and, and booed uh, and and booed Biden during this portion of the speech, and the media has reacted very strongly to that. Let me uh, let me find. Here we go. Here's that particular clip. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. Okay, so the thing is, there's two things here. First, no Republican is seriously calling for either of those programs to sunset. Republicans are considering that maybe some sort of cuts have to go in. And there has to be something done because both of those uh, both of those entitlements are facing serious fiscal problems. But that's that's not the only issue here. The other issue here is. It's being treated as some huge major breach of decorum. This behavior is despicable, that sort of thing. Anybody who is saying that this is absolutely unacceptable and was quiet during the Trump years when uh, Nancy Pelosi stood, I mean, uh, Nancy Pelosi stood up behind Donald Trump and ripped a copy of the speech in half very symbolically and was praised for it. You didn't see Kevin McCarthy do that last night. You actually saw Kevin McCarthy trying to hush his caucus. But during the Trump years, during the Trump State of the Union speeches, there was booing, there was heckling, there were people getting up and walking out during the speech. You can't say that the decorum last night was unacceptable if you were not saying that it was unacceptable when they did it to Trump. You're not a serious person if you're making that accusation. Honestly, I wanted the Republicans to shut up. You know why? The speech was an hour and a half. I didn't want to stay up for an hour and a half listening to Joe Biden talk about things. This is my job. My job is I have to listen to the State of the Union address. I have to watch it. I have to pay attention to it. I have to write words on the Internet about it. I have to talk to you guys about it. And frankly, y'all, I would rather have done anything else. I started watching The Blacklist on Netflix I love it. James Spader is brilliant in this show. I would rather have been watching it. An hour and a half means I could have watched two episodes of The Blacklist last night, plus probably a third and fourth with how much I had to cover and write and and edit other people writing about it at Red State. I could have gotten through several episodes. I'm into season two. I'm loving it. But I had to, to, to watch the damn State of the Union. And Kamala Harris standing up every two lines and leading a standing ovation into something Joe Biden said. That was annoying as hell. And the Republicans jeering and standing up and and yelling at Joe Biden and calling him a liar and interrupting Biden and, and Biden sparring with them on it. That was annoying. 
Just sit down, shut up, and let him get through the speech so we can get on with our lives so it doesn't have to be an hour and a half. But if you're attacking the Republicans for their behavior and you said nothing when the Democrats did the same thing, and I don't care what you say, oh, well, Trump was lying during or whatever, I don't care. The, 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 the pomp and circumstance of the State of the Union requires a certain level of decorum. And the Republicans breached it last night, and the Democrats breached it all the time with Trump. You're not a serious person if you're only looking at one side of it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, of course, your calls, your thoughts, but also some other news of the day right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So the... uh. The other big national story of the day, and it's kind of flying below the radar because everybody's talking about, um, everybody's talking about uh, the State of the Union address. Which again, uh, by Friday we're going to be talking about something completely different. Um, the other story is the infighting in the Republican Party continues, and when I say infighting, I mean, of course, Donald Trump attacking Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis not re- responding, but not ever mentioning Trump's name. So. DeSantis held a roundtable discussion on implementing Trump's policies regarding easing restrictions on suing media outlets. Remember, that was a big thing for Trump. Trump was very upset. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Trump wanted to, to be able to sue media outlets when they said you know, they gave false information or whatever. And, and of course, big First Amendment issue. Well, Ron DeSantis holding a roundtable discussion on this. The roundtable in Miami was focused on the damaging impacts of defamation from the legacy media per the DeSantis team. Now, the lawyer that DeSantis used at the roundtable is Libby Locke. She is a noted conservative attorney who has worked for the likes of Sarah Palin and James O'Keefe. However, Trump and his allies are very, very mad because Libby Locke also represents Dominion Voting Systems in their defamation suit against multiple figures in the Trump universe, including Rudy Giuliani and Mike Lindell. What's more, Trump has decided to attack Ron DeSantis using the same attacks the left used against him when he first ran for governor. There's a picture that was floating around when DeSantis was first running, and it was him, and and he was a teacher at the time, it was him and some, some students uh, at at some party, and his arms around him, they take a picture of everybody smiling and all that. Well, uh, they've taken to calling Ron DeSantis a groomer now, and uh, they're attacking him for this sort of thing, despite the fact that the the picture itself. I mean, there's there's no proof of any impropriety. There's there's nothing. There's nobody who's come forward with any sort of accusation of grooming or inappropriate touching or anything like that. It was just a group of folks at a party. And he's uh, Trump retweeted somebody who was effectively calling Ron DeSantis a pedophile. I mean, it's, it's been a thoroughly discredited story for years now. Uh, not even the left really picks it up anymore, except they're starting to because Trump is labeling Chris Hayes of MSNBC tweeting about it today. When Chris Hayes and Donald Trump are on the same side of something, that should make you stop and think. But Ron DeSantis responded to it by saying, you know, while 
while people are out there attacking, uh, you know, their fellow Republicans, I'm out here uh, pushing for the policies that these very same Republicans have been pushing for for years. And at no point in any of this has he mentioned Trump's name. He has yet again gone through something where Trump has attacked him and he's responded, but he doesn't say Trump's name. He is not engaging with Trump. He's simply saying his piece and moving on. And that's, again, how you have to deal with Donald Trump. If you're going to be in a race against Trump, the best way to do it is to not give him any sort of air. Donald Trump in 2016 was able to succeed because, one, he's a marketing guy, and he knows how to market himself to the widest audience. That's what he's always done. He also succeeded in 2016 by bringing everyone else down to his level. He could get away with the personal attacks. He's some rich dude from New York who is has no problem with personal attacks, no problem getting his hands dirty. And what he forced other politicians to do that they shouldn't have done was go down to his level and fight in the mud with him. So he brought everyone else down to his level and he came out looking better because of it. They came out looking a lot worse. So compared with him, voters went with him. And that's how we went from what, like 16, 17 candidates in 2016 to Donald Trump. Well, now you have people who understand that this is this is how you get Trump, by going down his level, by giving him a whole lot of extra oxygen. So they're just not going to do it. You won't find Nikki Haley doing it, I don't think. You won't find Tim Scott doing it. You won't find Ron DeSantis doing it. Mike Pompeo, maybe, but Pompeo is fairly disciplined. If Mike Pence runs, Mike Pence won't take part in it. Mike Pence has had enough of Trump. There's a lot of Republicans who want to run, and they all know better than to engage with Trump now. And so Trump will be on the stage flailing about, and the media will give him a ton of coverage, and the other Republicans will be asked, well, Trump said this about you. What do you think? And the Republicans will need to stay on message and say, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, or I don't care about that. That's a nonsensical insult. And they just move on and they say what they need to say. You know, the funny thing right now is that there are a lot of people in the online conservative sphere who were still fairly with Trump until he started going in on the whole grooming attack thing. Now that they're calling Ron DeSantis a pedophile, a lot of formerly pro-Trump people are like, okay, this is screwed up. Trump and MAGA world are screwing up by going in on this level of attack. But that's the thing is that Donald, the, the, the folks who are just selling their souls in support of Donald Trump. I, I understand if you're a fan of Donald Trump and you prefer him and his policies over Ron DeSantis or anybody else. That's one thing. But there are people that are almost cultishly devoted to Trump. And they are slinging this style of mud at Ron DeSantis, and Trump is buying into it, and Trump is elevating it and promoting it and uh, blaring it out on, on his megaphone on, on Truth Social. And even some folks who were you know, pro-Trump, fans of Trump, they're calling it out as, as a stupid attack. You're attacking one of the most re- successful Republican governors in the country right now over something that's been discredited, all because you think he's a threat to your presidential campaign. 
That doesn't help anybody. And those Republicans that are out there calling the 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 MAGA cultists, basically, calling them out on that, they're right. It's become an absolute clown show. The level that Donald Trump is stooping to try to discredit Ron DeSantis and the fact that none of the blows really land because Ron DeSantis isn't even engaging in that. He shrugs and he moves on. It looks like a lot of people have learned their lesson from 2016. And more and more data continues to pour in that when Donald Trump is focused on these things instead of focused on the issues that voters care about, more voters move away from Trump and move back to other Republicans in the Republican Party. And in fact, when Trump engages in this sort of thing and the media covers it, that's more people who see it and say, like, I can't support this guy if he's doing this, and they move away from him. Trump may be his own biggest enemy when it comes to how many people support him because of things like this. Now, does that mean Trump's out of the race? Absolutely not. Trump is still a candidate in this race. He's still the only declared one. I think next uh, next Tuesday is when, oh no, no, I'm sorry, next a week from today, a week from today is when Nikki Haley officially announces, and there will be more Republicans coming. You know, by this point in 2016, we had 10 Republican candidates already. We only have one official one right now, two if you count Nikki Haley saying she was going to on the 15th. The Republicans are moving a little more slowly, a little more strategically. In this, And I think that actually bodes well for the Republican primary. The Republicans are being a bit more thoughtful about this. They are taking the time, I think, to solidify their donors. And the, the, major, the major Republican donors, it looks like, or it sounds like in the background, they're starting to consolidate early. And they're going to throw their money behind a few of the candidates and let those candidates really fight it out in terms of policy and debate. There's not going to be a bunch of people sitting back until there's a candidate, but there's not going to be a bunch of people rushing in to support one person either. There's going to be a fairly healthy debate on the Republican primary side. And that's one of the reasons that Joe Biden, by the way, could not go all in on alienating Republicans and trying to – he did a bit try to label them as, as too extreme still. He's still trying to make the case that it's the Republicans who are extreme and not the Democrats – but he didn't do so as much last night. He focused, again, on the economy and bipartisanship because he wants to show that he can be the leader and his party can be the leading party and not the Republicans. But if the Republicans are able to navigate a primary and have a healthy debate on their policies and on, the, and what, on, and on what they want to do, then all of a sudden the Democrats have a much better chance I'm sorry, the Republicans have a much better chance of overcoming the Democrats. And that's going to be very important going forward. The Republicans really need an opportunity to have a clean, healthy debate on ideas. They don't need mudslinging. They don't need personal insults. They don't need, frankly, a lot of those Trumpisms. They need to discuss policy. They need to discuss how to move the Republican Party forward and how not how to have the Republican Party Stay focused on 2020 and 2022 and personal grievances. That's not going to be how you win an election. 
All right. 232-1542 if you want to call in or send a message to the KPL app chat. When we come back, a couple more news items for the day right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Um, okay, this story is just too funny to not share with y'all. Apparently, uh, New Zealand, New Zealand found 3.5 tons of cocaine in the water, in the ocean, 3.5 tons of cocaine. So a little over 300 million us dollars of cocaine floating in the ocean. And the internet, being the internet, made the phrase cocaine shark trend for a while. Now, if you're not sure what that is in reference to, there's a movie coming out called Cocaine Bear based incredibly loosely on the story of a bear that discovered uh, a misplaced shipment of cocaine. But 3.5 tons of cocaine floating in the ocean. Now, what happened, they say, is that uh, an, an international drug syndicate of some sort uh, put or, or left it there for somebody else to pick up, and that would be how they would distribute it. And the uh, the New Zealand military, law enforcement, and customs agencies are all working together to try to put a stop to a lot of the drug trade. And so they were able to intercept this 3.5 tons of cocaine. And were able to get it back. And so they were inspecting it, identifying it, and destroying it. So that is 3.5 tons of cocaine that will not be on the market. According to uh, New Zealand law enforcement, we believe there was enough cocaine to service the Australian market for about one year. And this would be more than New Zealand could use in 30 years. The Australian market can use 3.5 tons of cocaine in a year? Wow. Go I guess when you deal with all the animals and wildlife and the crazy spiders and snakes and everything like that in Australia, maybe you just need a ton of cocaine to get over that. Maybe that amps you up enough to run away from them. I'm not sure. But anyway, this is just a, a, a funny story. Um, yeah, I, this story up on kpel965.com, just in case you are interested. Uh, also, want to point out to y'all that uh where's this story oh the the chinese balloon story so uh the washington post has linked uh the chinese spy balloon to an international surveillance program used by the chinese on five different continents to collect information on foreign military assets here's what the post is saying What the Chinese have done is taken an unbelievably old technology and basically married it with modern communications and observation capabilities to try and glean intelligence on other nations' militaries, said one official. It's a massive effort. And we let that just float across our country for several days without doing a thing, including near one of our ICBM uh, bases. That is absurd. Again, a test by the Chinese government to see what they could get away with, and our response was an utter failure. Now the Chinese believe they can just 
throw a couple balloons over U.S. airspace and observe our military bases and we're not going to do anything about it. That is very problematic. Extremely problematic. And that the Biden administration didn't, and Biden didn't even address that incident in his State of the Union speech. He mentioned China once, very briefly, and didn't address the balloon at all. And the Biden administration really thinks that they did nothing wrong there. Yeah, they kind of did. All right, that's it for me for 23 hours. I will be back soon. In the meantime, Shannon is off sides with Gary Cruz coming up next. If you want to talk to me more outside of the show, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the Substack, Joe Cunningham Show.substack.com. I'm going to be back tomorrow. You guys have a great day. Be careful out there in case this severe weather does happen to strike Lafayette. See you soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.